Well, good morning, Sunridge. Just as Jed and I said just a moment or two ago, we just are so grateful for you and we wanna wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, if you're new to Sunridge and this is the first message you're watching or listening to, I wanna let you know that this is a unique message and that we have decided this year to give all of our Sunday morning volunteers uh, the weekend off from serving. They serve so faithfully and we wanted you guys, our volunteers, to be able to spend time with your family and to rest and to renew yourselves and enjoy all the new stuff that you got or that you got for yourself. We appreciate you guys so much and we hope that you enjoy uh, this time. Now, I've got a big question for you. Uh, do you guys have favorite Christmas movies? I'm pretty sure that you do. And I want you to know that I do as well. I love, I love a lot of the old school uh, movies or cartoons. Like I love Grinch, the original in the cartoon form. I love the old kind of janky Rudolph version. And of course, It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas. But they, then even some of the more modern versions uh, or Christmas stories. I love uh, Vacation and Elf, yay. And uh, one of my favorites of all time is Fred Claus. And you know, we watch these movies in our home every year. And I annoy my family uh, traditionally by being able to quote many of these movies. I've wasted so much hard drive of my brain and being able to memorize those. And uh, yet we, it, we are making our way through Luke's gospel from Christmas to Easter, from birth to resurrection of Jesus. And in the past, we've noted that about thir a third of Luke is unique to his gospel. And some of those unique things that are in Luke's gospel have become many of us, for many of us, our favorites. And that's true of what we're gonna look at this morning, like those favorite movies or programs I watch every Christmas season. This is one that I read every year. It's one of my Christmas favorites. And it's where Luke tells of how Mary and Joseph take Jesus to temple to worship. And as they do, they encounter two unique people. And this is probably about a month or a month and a half after Jesus' birth, and they bring him to be consecrated as their firstborn son, a tradition that's called Pidyon Hebin. And it's kind of their version of child dedication, what we do. Uh, in the first century, it was a blessing to be able to have children and especially sons. And this uh, tradition is a way of demonstrating their thankfulness for this firstborn son and to de dedicate themselves uh, to making God uh, be a part of his life. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's encouraged uh, that parents do this as an annual event in Exodus chapter 13, verse, beginning of verse 12, in which they celebrate a firstborn son's birth. And during that time, they would remind that son of how thankful they were that he was born and that they loved him and they saw all the promises of God being fulfilled in him. Sort of like a birthday party that we have for our children every year. You know, and all this tells us that Jesus, as 100% human, 100% divine, was raised in a traditional Jewish home. And his parents took him to synagogue and they talked about God in their home. And his parents were intentional about seeing it, that their son Jesus 
would know who God is and that he would learn the Hebrew scriptures and that he would be a part of the faith community that they lived in or were a part of in their town. And so as a child, Jesus learned about God just like we do. He learned from his parents and his family, extended family, and he learned uh, about God from his teachers in synagogue and, of course, by being a part of the community of faith. And so while they're at the temple for, on this occasion, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, encounter two people that I want you to meet. The first one is Simeon, and it's in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 25. Luke tells us that there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was righteous and devout. And that's especially significant because in Judaism, this is a time of religious corruption in which the religious leaders uh, of their day had conflated Judaism, uh, the Jewish religion that Christianity comes from, with power and wealth in the politics of the Roman Empire. They, they, had a, they had become morally self-righteous and that led to an isolationism that the Jewish religion at that time had. It was kind of a us versus them in the communities in which they were a part of. And yet Simeon stands out from that. He has a pure heart. He's devoted to God. And he wanted to live to see the Messiah. And God honored that desire in him. It's likely that he witnessed this dedication of Jesus and witnessed him being prayed for. And somehow, uh, Luke doesn't tell us, God enables Simeon to know who Jesus is among the crowd that is at the temple that day. So he walks up to Joseph and Mary and he says, wow, that's a cute baby. Actually, that's not what he said. Um, Here's what he did in verse 28. Simeon took him, that is Jesus, the infant in his arms, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, Simeon said, I have seen or witnessed everything that I'd longed for in my life. You know, this is all we know about Simeon. Nothing before or after this point. We know the kind of person he was. He was righteous and devout. And we know what he wanted most in life. He really, really wanted to see Jesus. And he got to. Now, I don't think it's likely that any of us are going to see Jesus in the flesh in our lifetime. But it is true that we can share that same desire for him to be present in our lives. That's what we've been doing during the, this season uh, in our Advent, where our prayer has been, Jesus, stay with us. Now, the second person that Joseph and Mary, and of course, the infant Jesus, encounter is a woman named Anna. And again, just like Simeon, Luke begins by telling us a little bit about who she is. In verse 36 of chapter 2, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. And she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting 
and praying. So who is this woman, Anna? First of all, Luke tells us that she is a widow. So of course, her husband has died after only seven years of being married. And so we see that she remains single for a really long time. She's at least 84 at the time of this story. So she is old. In fact, Luke says she's very old. And I don't think that she appreciated that comment very much. Sounding younger all the time to me, though. Luke also says that she's devout, that she worshiped day and night. And what a great commentary to be said about a person. Anna is either there at temple all the time, or as a widow, she could be living there because she's poor. As a widow, it's possible that she might have been a ward of the temple and a recipient of temple charity. And so serving uh, in various ways would be a way that she would give back. Luke says that she is a prophet. And in your Bibles, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. They, they speak to societal changes. They, they speak scripture or explain it. And they teach about scripture. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament mention women who spoke for or about God. Sometimes they're called prophetesses when it's a woman. But what's interesting here, um, this period between what is the Old Testament time and then the New Testament is often referred to as a period of silence. It's a, it's a span of about 400 years where there were no prophets speaking uh, in the nation of Israel. And what did Anna have to prophesy or say? In verse 38, it, say, it says that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So think about this. God's chosen spokesperson, the first to prophesy after 400 years of silence and the first really of the New Testament era is old, a woman, and her prophecy is about Jesus. After the shepherds, she is the second human gospel preacher in the New Testament. And here's what she said, paraphrased, if you're looking for redemption, the Redeemer is here. Now, she could never be a good preacher because she doesn't have three points. She just has one. If you're looking for redemption, the Redeemer is here. The word redemption means to fix or to restore. And the point here is that human beings are not so hot sometimes. And we need restoring. We need fixing. We need redemption. In fact, we can be unwantable because of those things, because we have sin. Everybody does. We do things we shouldn't, and we don't do things that we should. And sometimes that can make us unwantable, but never with God. God is a redeemer. In fact, that is one of the Hebrew words in your Old Testament for God, redeemer. God always wants us. He wants every person born to be redeemed. He accepts us as we are. And then through the Holy Spirit and his word and the fellowship of other believers, he changes us into who we were meant to be. The New Testament tells us that Jesus came to redeem. 
the angel who appeared to Joseph said that they will call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And here Luke is unique in that he gives us a peek into God with us in Jesus' early life. He's an infant. He's helpless. His parents have to carry him to synagogue. He won't live if they don't feed him. He won't have a roof over his head unless Joseph, his father, gets up every morning and goes to work. He's completely vulnerable. This is the picture that Luke gives us of the Son of God, God with us. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. He is just like us. In fact, here we see clearly that the Son of God starts off as a baby. Why is that important? What does that mean for you and me? Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on, and in verse 16, he says, because of this, because this is who the Son of God is, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, lots of people think of God as unapproachable, as critical and condemning for the good people and not the unwanted people. And you know, it is true that God is righteous and holy and Jesus was perfect and without sin, but that does not mean that God is unapproachable. In fact, in Jesus, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father, we see the opposite perspective. And that's what makes Anna's words so sweet to hear. If you've been looking for redemption, it's here. It's available to everyone through Jesus. He is with us. Now, with that message in mind, I want to just say to all of the kids that are listening or watching this message, I want you to go out with this thought in mind that God wants us even when we're unwantable and go out and enjoy all your new stuff and eat lots of leftovers and cookies and help put away all of your Christmas decorations and think about how much God loves you. And to the adults, parents, this isn't just a message for kids, right? We have so much to be grateful for and we understand this word redemption or the redeemer in a whole other way because we know that we need redemption and that God is redeeming us. And yet I know that for some of you that are uh, watching this morning, the idea of God's redemption in your life right now seems distant because you're in a hard place. You're alone. Maybe you were divorced this year, or maybe you're with others, but there's someone that you love that isn't at Christmas with you this year. And I just want to remind you that we have this promise that through Jesus, all things are being redeemed. And he has come to reconcile us, not just to God, to one another. We have a lot to be grateful for. Well, 
We're going to see you hopefully next Sunday in church, and we're going to pick up the story of Jesus's life as we continue to go through Luke, and we're going to, Jesus starts to launch his ministry in the region of Galilee. Until then, from all of us, your staff and your elders, and certainly from me as one of your pastors, I just want to say Merry Christmas, Sunridge.